Welcome to the Life of Jesus, Term 2, Week 3, and this will be Lesson 16. We're going to pick up where we left off in Chapter 3, and I believe we left off in page 21. Let's begin reading in verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. Um, it says, Then God blessed them. And again, we talked about this blessing in the, at the end of the last session. It was extremely significant. All right? It is when the blessing again was conferred on mankind upon us. All right? And why we can and should expect everything we do to succeed. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. So this was the first assignment given to us by God. That God ha- that had God's blessing on it. And subdue it. Have dominion. This was our second assignment. That also had God's blessing on it. Over the fish of the sea. Over the birds of the air. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. Which includes or included snakes. Alright. And one particular snake that's going to turn up in the garden. Alright. Henry M. Morris. So, uh, Actually let me stop there. Notice again that God said, you have dominion. Alright? He gave man responsibility. Anything gets out of line, it's under your control. It's your responsibility to look after it. Amen? Alright. Henry M. Morris explains that when God instructed man to subdue the earth, and to have dominion over every living thing that moveth upon the earth, these were military terms, first conquer, then rule. Interesting, isn't it? Conquer and rule. Animal gets out of line, snake gets out of line, conquer and rule. Alright. In addition, Alan P. Ross in his commentary writes, humans are to have dominion over the world. The terms used suggest putting down opposition and were perhaps used in anticipation of the coming conflict with evil. Which is interesting. It also explains why Genesis 2.15 said, mine is over the page, then God's Uh, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep, or literally guard it. Okay? So, that was an assignment that was given to mankind. He was given the job not only to look after it, but to guard the thing as well. Amen? Isn't that the same for our homes? Absolutely. Do you understand? I mean, we do everything to not only... We are not only responsible for its upkeep, but we also do all the things that we need to do, locks on doors or whatever else, to keep us safe in here as well. But do you understand? So it's an interesting thing that that concept is still carried on to us today. We still do exactly the same thing. All right, And it was given to us way back. It is more than apparent from these verses that the Lord God, Jesus Christ, was well aware of the danger that was all around. And even though it was in another dimension, it was still the same space and anything was possible, as we see, like using a snake's body. Okay. Therefore, God not only warns man of the danger, but also equips him <coughs> excuse me, to deal with it according to Psalm 8. Verses 4 through 6, which says, What are mortals that you should think of us, mere humans that you should care for us? For you made us only a little lower than yourself, God, and you crowned us with glory and honor. You put us in charge of everything you made, giving us authority over all things. Okay, I've added a little bit there just to give you the idea of what God was actually saying. Alright, now notice, He put us in charge of everything He made. Alright, gave us authority over all things. 
Amen. It was our responsibility. Okay. Um, and notice also, he gave us what it would take to do. Now, let me just read the comments I've made under here. In other words, God actually crowned, which is a royal act, and armed mankind with his own glory and honor. His glory and honor. Where else would it come from, if not from God himself? Do you understand? Okay. Alright, knowing that it, that is his glory, would be the only thing that Lucifer and all his angels would have no defense against. Are you all with me? Because this is the thing that we don't realize that when man was first made, he had God's glory all over him. Okay? When God said, let us make man in our image and likeness, we did look like him. Alright, when you look at descriptions of God in heaven, you know that He's a fire from His loins up. And, you know, he, and Jesus, remember when He just shone? And His face shone and everything, His raiment, everything shone. For His clothes to shine, it wasn't His clothes were shining. It was what in His clothes were shining. <laughs> okay, do you understand? So He was just glowing top to bottom. And that was the way He made us. Do you understand? Because it was that member. All things were made by him, for him. It was that member of the Godhead that was actually involved in. All three members were involved in the creation of man. But it was the hands-on. Jesus Christ was hands-on. Do you understand? We had that same image, same likeness. What they saw on the Mount of Transfiguration was exactly the way Adam and Eve looked. How gorgeous that would have been. God's glory. Wow. Yes, we did come fully clothed. Okay, and we ended up naked. Okay, because it's like I have said before, you know, it's like the, you know, see those cartoons and the bird, you know, is walking and suddenly all his feathers fall. <laughs> you know, and suddenly he crosses his legs and he's got his little arms and he kind of scuttles over to a bush. That's exactly what happened to us. Our glory left, our feathers fell. Do you understand? We were suddenly naked, everything was exposed. Hello, and we look for the first tree <laughs> we could find, you know, or bush. All right, so we need to read all of this and understand what was actually going on. And that was what the angels had no defense against. It was God's glory, because they have trouble standing in the glory of God. And in the presence of God, it's His glory. All right, that's why only certain angels can actually stand. Hence, Michael, not Michael, Gabriel. When Zechariah is giving him lip, you know, when he's saying, you're going to have a kid. Zechariah says, how can this be so? And notice the first thing he says, I stand in the presence. It's like, I don't kneel, I stand in the presence of God. I'm one of those that can stand in his presence. You know what I'm trying to say? It's interesting the way he, that was a big deal. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? It tells us that when God crowned man with his glory... That was a powerful thing. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. Star Wars is happening again, and you know, they're talking about the force now, and hey man, that was our force. I mean, we had it all over us. Talk about being clothed with power. Amen. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Okay. Um, in fact, this crowning made man far superior to Lucifer and all the angels in every way. If that wasn't the case, God would have no right to judge man for being overcome by a superior being. Amen? Let's just talk about this. Because I have heard people saying, oh, well, you know, it talks about 
angels, their strength is so superior and all the rest of it. And yes, you know, even man, even though man was made in a higher class, angels are a lot stronger. And this is from, you know, word of faith preachers. Okay? And I was thinking, uh, no. No, you're, you're missing something. You're missing when it says that God crowned man with His glory, with His honor. That was power. Do you understand? And it, was, it wasn't just authority, it was power. The honor was the authority, the glory was the power. If you don't listen, we'll beat you down. Pretty much, that's how it is. He, he, a policeman can say, stop in the name of the law. You know, have you seen those things? And they, and they wave their hand around, pull the gun out, dopey, they'll stop. <laughs> They're going to run you over otherwise. Do you see what I'm saying? And that would be how stupid it was if God just gave us honor with no glory. We'd say, stop to the devil, he'd laugh and beat you over the head. <laughs> Tell me to stop. <laughs> you know, are you all here? Okay, so we needed something powerful as an ally that we could use against it when it came against us. And something that would defeat it hands down. And so the psalm says that he crowned man. Crowned. And that was a royal act. He crowned man with his glory and honor. It was his way of saying, try to mess with this. See what you get. Amen. Moving on. All right. But as we saw before, we were made in God's uh, as we saw before, we were made in God's class, given his attributes, and now crowned with his glory, and with all that we still failed. In the only way that we could by an act of willful disobedience, which is why we were judged. Did you get that? Okay. And it is because of our sin that the world is in the state that is it, that it is in. But Jesus would change all that in spite of our disobedience and return the authority and dominion we lost back to us. And that's in Luke chapter 10 verse 19 with the words, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Wow. Okay. That was a key thing. That was in response to everything we lost. It has been given back to us. Alright? But, see, one of the things that we are, and we're over the page, but let me just say this to you a little bit. Here's a mini preaching, alright? Can't, can't leave it there. It takes faith to exercise this kind of dominion. And faith has a power attached to it that we still haven't learned about. Okay? It is a literal force that will begin to work in your life. That's the reason why it can, it can destroy mountains. Jesus said, if you believe, if you say, if you believe in your heart, Mark 11, 23, alright? He said, if you don't doubt, you can say to this mountain, say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. Alright? Shall not doubt in his heart. Okay, but believe those things which he says shall come to pass. He will have what he says. What did he just say? Be cast into the sea. Can you imagine that? Alright? See, this is the thing that, the problem that we're having. We don't realize that there is, there are things that we haven't developed in yet. 
Alright, and we need to develop in those things. And it, it requires time, it requires meditation, it requires God and His presence, which is what prayer, a part of your prayer life shouldn't just be, it, your prayer life shouldn't just be, oh God, I need this, 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 and this, and this. And some weedies can be nice too. Alright, <laughs> we've got to stop just doing that in prayer. You need to go into prayer and say, okay God, here are the list of things that I need right now. And help me develop my faith. Show me, reveal things to me. Let me see things that I'm not seeing. Let me come into the place that you designed and destined for me to be. Ruling, reigning, doing the things that we were meant to do. So that I could speak to a mountain and literally see the thing cast into the ocean. Whether it's a spiritual mountain or a physical mountain. Jesus didn't make any, any distinction. In fact, the mountain that he was talking about, when he was standing, that mountain, is the very mountain that he's going to come back and hit on his way back. And it's going to split and it's actually going to get cast into the ocean. He was talking in a literal sense as much as a figurative sense, is what I'm trying to tell you. Whenever Jesus said something, man, I mean, you know, he had literal applications of things that we just can't even imagine. He says, I'm the bread of life. He multiplies all the bread. He says, I'm the resurrection. He brings somebody back from the dead. Every time he says something... It has a literal meaning to it as much as a figurative. And it's very sad that theologians only go with the figurative. Don't do that. Alright? It has other applications. And until we start doing that, then we're going to keep getting the questions of why is the world in the mess that it is in. Alright. We're on to page 23. According to Henry M. Morris, in his commentary on Genesis 1.28, said that here is also the primeval commission to man, authorizing both science and technology as man's basic enterprise relative to the earth. Science is man's discipline um, and uh, discipline study and understanding of the phenomena of his world. Technology is the implementation of, his, of this knowledge in the effective ordering and development of the earth and its resources for, greater, uh, for the greater good of all earth's inhabitants, including such fields as human services, as engineering, agriculture, medicine, and a host of other practical technologies. Morris continues, this twofold commission to subdue and have dominion, to conquer and rule, embraces all productive human activities, science and technology, research and development, theory and application, study and practice and so forth, are various ways of expressing these two concepts. That's interesting, isn't it? All right. Man was given this mandate right at the beginning. All right. In other words, all science technology and technology has its origins in the Bible. It was given to us. It was the thing that we would push towards. Sad that we took and turned it against God. But that only has been in the last you know, couple of decades. It wasn't that way before. If you said something against God, boy, you were ostracized basically. You know, which is really interesting that we think that this has been like this all the time. It hasn't. And I, I pray that there will you know, come a time in you know, the years in the future, people will look back on this time and go, wow, really? They actually thought that? How dumb. Okay? <laughs> Alright, just like they said about the stars. Oh no, there's not that many stars. Just because the Bible says they're countless. The Bible's wrong. Today we go, 
Yeah, you know, of course we know there's countless stars. And funny about that. And that's, again, the thing that I look forward to. <clears throat> All right, as a final note, Morris goes on to hypothesize, I had to put this in, okay, that had not man failed in his probation in Eden, he would have eventually been allowed to colonize other planets as his population grew. I thought that was really interesting. Who knows? I don't know, but there it is. He made, he made the statement. I thought it was interesting. What's even more fascinating, don't let that be a stumbling block, okay? All right. What's even more fascinating is the thought that is expressed in Revelation 22.5, where it says, There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, no light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Notice, it goes back to let them have dominion. Okay? It's still in our genes, so to speak. Alright, so here we get a glimpse of what God's ultimate intention might have been. Alright? That in creating us according to His image and likeness, to subdue and have dominion over all the works of His hands, Psalm 8.6, we may have gone on to rule and reign over other planets and civilizations that God would have in time created. These are all hypotheses, but who's to say? You know, we watch Star Trek and everything else. Where do you think it's coming from? Do you understand? And we think, oh, look, you know, we've come such a long way from the Garden of Eden. We've, you know, we've built spaceships and we've done this and that. It was like, yeah, that was what was said to you in the garden. Go build. I'm not going to give you everything. You do this. I've given you the ability to do it. Go do it. Are you all here? God only knows, and I mean that in the literal sense. God only knows where all we would have been today had we not sinned. Can you imagine the technologies that would have been unhindered by you know, our loss of the ability in our minds? We're using about 12-13% maybe at the most. What happens if we were still working at 100% capacity? Can you imagine the advances we would have made? And God's talking to us. Wow. Star Trek would be like behind the times. Are you all here? Things to think about. But, as I've said here, that too is pure speculation. Nevertheless, returning to Genesis chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, I like to dream. It goes on to say, And God said, <laughs> See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you it shall be food. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, which is what Pastor Jamie was talking to us about, to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. So, you know, that verse does tell us that um, animals were created, their first design was to live off the vegetation. Okay? Um, and then things happen after that. Alright, in other words, no matter where man or animal went, there would be food available everywhere on the face of all the earth. Did you catch that? Okay, isn't that amazing? You could travel for days, weeks, end up somewhere else and there'd still be food there. Wow. Okay, didn't have to look for a 7-Eleven. Didn't have to look for a Woolies or a Coles. Okay, you just had food everywhere. You know, we miss things like this. We think God just made a little garden and you couldn't leave the garden or you pack a little lunch and go. You didn't need to. The whole planet had food on it. Wow. Huh? Anyway. And with that, Genesis... Uh, did I finish? There were no deserts 
or other uninhabitable regions. Alright? With that, Genesis 1.31 concludes by saying, Then God saw everything He had made, and it would have looked gorgeous. Okay? And in it, indeed, it was very or exceedingly good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, notice the phrase, and indeed it was exceedingly good, tells us something very significant that is best expressed by what the Spirit-filled Life Bible says, and that is, the agricultural, this is quite a long um, quote, the agricultural, zoological, geological, and meteorological disharmony to which creation became subject must not be attributed to God. The perfect will of God as founding king of creation is not manifest in the presence of death, disease, discord, and disaster any more than it is manifest in human sin. Our present world does not reflect the kingdom order he originally intended for man's enjoyment on earth, nor does it reflect God's kingdom as it shall ultimately be experienced on this planet. Understanding this, we should be cautious not to attribute to God's will or to acts of God those characteristics of our world that resulted from the ruin of God's original order by reason of man's fall. All right, it's a mouthful, but I didn't, I couldn't leave any of that out. All right, so that basically summarizes everything that we've been talking about, all the problems that we're facing, all the things that have happened, because when it said that that God saw everything He made and it was very good, none of this stuff was in there. Amen? It was perfect, and it would have remained that way if we left it alone. <laughs> okay? If we didn't sin. Alright. Now, I've just got a couple of pages on the specifics of creation. This is... Um, and I would like to try and get through this today if we can. Is, uh, am I giving you too much information or can you manage this? Are we good? Alright, let's soldier on. Alright, so this brings us to Genesis chapter 2. I'm, I'm trying to get to a place where we start talking. We want to bring Jesus back into the picture. Okay, and um, we're going we're gonna to be looking at um, the fall next, which is important because Jesus was there. And we need to see the things that happened because we not only see man, we not only see the Lord, we also see the devil. All right, all three are involved in that. So we can't go past it. Following that, then we'll see all the consequences of that fall and the appearances of Jesus Christ throughout history. All right, so that when he says before, okay, um, actually I'm going ahead now. Let's stop there. Let's, let's continue on here. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. So, this basically belongs in chapter 1, alright? None of these things are written in chapters and verses, we put them there. So, there are some places the chapter divisions are brilliant, other places they're terrible. In fact, one of the things that we're going to find when we get to the life of Jesus, is when we're looking at Nicodemus, that whole um, John chapter 3, uh, John chapter 3 verse 1 shouldn't be the beginning of John chapter 3. It should be John chapter 2 verse 25, verse 24, verse 23. All of those belong in the next chapter. Because it explains what was about to happen. When it says that he didn't need anybody to tell him, he knew what was in man. And then that the very next statement is there was a man, a ruler of the Jews named Nicodemus, comes to Jesus. All right? And it's very interesting that before Nicodemus asks a question, Jesus answers it. And the only way you can tie that together and see the logic in that is if you go back to chapter 2, 
and realized that Jesus knew what was in Nicodemus' heart before he even asked the question, he answered the question. Wouldn't that wow you out? So this should be in Genesis chapter 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, uh, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it he rested from all his work. Literally abstained from creative work because God never tires. Okay, he just stopped working. Okay, which God had created and made. In his commentary, Alan P. Ross writes, The repetition in this last section of the narrative stresses the culmination of the cessation from creation. The key word here is is the well-known rest. The word actually means cease, more than rest as understood today. It is not a word that refers to remedying exhaustion after a tiring week of work, Rather, it describes the enjoyment of accomplishment, the celebration of completion. All right? And with that, the Lord not only deprived Lucifer of a habitable planet with no water in it, okay, but also developed another universe which he made and created a race of beings in his class that would rule and reign with him. So this is what happened. All right? So I'm giving you kind of like a, a quick picture of what went on now. Alright, so we're bringing all this back to the things that we've learned. Now, from a more scientific perspective, Henry M. Morris writes, The present process of the universe are, without exception, processes of conservation and disintegration. Alright, now, let me just explain this to you. Let me stop for a minute. Science talks about the law of conservation of energy, the law of conservation of mass, and so on and so forth. All right? What they say is um, everything, nothing just disappears into nothingness. All right? Everything will change form. All right? You know the famous E equals MC squared? All right? it's, it's an equation that shows you that energy can become mass. E is energy, M is mass, C is the you know, speed of light squared. Okay? It's saying that Mass and energy are interrelated. So if something, if something burns up, okay, it transforms into energy. And there is a remnant as well. All right? It won't disappear. The thing will just change its form. Do you understand? That only exists after God put it all into place. After He put it into place, notice He finished creating. There was not going to be anything else that was going to come from nothing. Everything in the universe was going to be constant from that moment forward. Are you all with me? And so all the laws of conservation only operate with that understanding. Because God finished creating. Did you get that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All the atoms, the number, when you go right back to atoms, okay... It won't change. Alright? It will change form, but the number won't change. It's like, okay, the same mass. Alright, so. Alright. So we need to... Okay, I hope you guys can hang with me on all of this. Alright, so you need to understand this. Alright, so let's reread this again. The present process. Notice present process of the universe are, without exception, process of conservation and disintegration as formulated in the two universal laws of thermodynamics. The process of of the creation period, on the other hand, were processes of innovation 
and integration or create, uh, creating and making which are exactly opposite. Okay? So when God was creating, things were coming out of nothing. Okay, there was energy being formed, there was matter being formed, things were coming. Alright? They were the exact opposite of the way the universe is right now. Now everything is at the stage of those, those two things, conservation and disintegration. There is no creation, it's disintegration. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay, that's right. Alright, so, um, following this, Genesis 2.4 begins a new section with verse 5 telling us that the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and therefore verse 6 saying that a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Alright, that leads to verse 7 saying that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. This is man's body being formed, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This is when he imparted his own spirit into man. Alright, that is God. And as a result, man became a living soul or being. Alright? So that was a result of God breathing into the body that He made from the dust of the ground. Alright? Something very interesting happened. It would have been something amazing to see. Okay? As God breathed into this lifeless okay, body that He had just created, something came into being. Wow. Okay? So there was one more creation that was coming. And that was this. Alright, a new being was created. Amazing, isn't it? In his book, One Flesh, Bob Yanyan writes, uh, Genesis 2.7 says that God formed man from the dust and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The word life is actually plural, lives. Therefore, God breathed into the body of the man the breath of lives, the created spirits of both man and the woman. Okay? So, two lives went into one body. Alright? That's the reason why he was able to t- pull him apart. That's why we leave father and mother and we go back to becoming one. Because we started out as one. Isn't that amazing? Alright? So, in other words, into the body of man, God breathed the spiritual essence of both male and female, revealing to us that spiritually both Adam and Eve came into existence at the same time with both spirits existing in the same space, same time. Okay, now you guys can manage some of these things, alright? <laughs> Once more, this verse also shows us that man was created as a three-part being. And why the Apostle Paul said in First Thessalonians 5.23, And may your whole spirit, soul, and body, and that word whole carries across all three of them. Alright, so it should be may your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And following this in verses 8 through 14, we are told of Eden, verse 8, and all the beautiful trees God put there was pleasant to to the sight and good for food, that's verse 9. It is here that we are also told that the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that's in the second part of verse 9, besides all the rivers and the precious stones that God put there, that's in verses 10 through 14. Alright, following this, verse 15 goes on to say, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And we saw that earlier, that this was when God warned man to guard the garden. Keep it safe from all intruders, especially a rebellious outlaw angel named Lucifer. He obviously, something was told him. 
Okay, see, we don't have a record of everything because remember how it said that and then the Lord came down in the cooler day to talk to Adam? We, we, do, we haven't had all the conversations recorded. So we don't know how much God, the Lord was talking to him and what he had said. All right? But we know enough to know that he should have known better. Somewhere in those conversations. All right, and following this, and I have to stop. Let me just read these verses, we'll pick up here. Following this, it says in verses 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in, uh, in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Okay, and Henry Morris says, literally, the warning could be read, Dying, thou shalt die. Okay, there are two deaths mentioned there, and we will pick that up next week.